been in a series this summer from Romans chapter 12, 13, and 14 called Living in God's Will. Um, Romans chapter 12 specifically starts with this idea of knowing the good, perfect, pleasing will of God. Um, There are things that when we as human beings look at them, they will look good and they are not God's will. Okay? They are going to look good even to our Christian worldview and they will not be God's will. Okay? The only way to know God's good and pleasing and perfect will, not just his good will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will is to offer your body to God as a living sacrifice, not let the the sinful nature rule anymore, and let him renew your mind. Change the way you think completely. How many of you know that that didn't just happen the day you got saved? I mean, I know we got the mind of Christ the day we got saved, but we don't know how to use it. And so we have to have our minds continuously made new so that we walk after him and we know that. And we've compared it to traveling. We've compared it to the GPS and following road signs. In Romans chapter 12, 13, and 14, these three chapters really are road signs for us. And as we look at what Paul is teaching these Roman Christians, we get this insight for us as well. You're not going to be able to get in your car today and drive somewhere if you don't turn on the ignition, if you don't put the car in gear. There are steps you have to take even though you know what needs to be done until you do what needs to be done you're not getting anywhere and too many Christians are content to come and sit in the pew and know what we're supposed to do and wonder why we ain't going anywhere in Jesus because Jesus says blessed are those who not only know but do what I said amen that's good stuff So we've talked about not being drowsy, staying in debt, which means loving others. We talked last week about our clothes. Today we're going to finish Romans chapter 13. We haven't gone in order through the chapters. Today we're going to look at the end of Romans chapter 13, or the beginning, I should say, because we already did the end. But rebels no more is what we're going to talk about. And uh, next week we're going to go backwards into chapter 12 and cover chapter 12. And then when we end the series, we're going to end in chapter 14. And so rebels no more. Now, I don't know when you travel for the summer or when you drive how well you obey traffic laws, okay? I don't know whether you follow the speed limit, whether you truly come to a complete stop at a stop sign, whether you text and drive or don't text and drive or Facebook and drive or don't Facebook and drive, but those are laws, okay? So, whether or not we should obey those laws is a great debate that we could have on Facebook sometime. Maybe, maybe today we'll talk about that. Um, but are they optional? I mean, if I think, you know, that the texting law was established for people who are not as good of drivers as me. So therefore, I am able to choose to text and drive because I'm better than the person that the law was made for. Or... The speed limit, the same thing. I'm a better driver than most. I mean, this is hypothetical, by the way. I'm not declaring this because I'm not a better driver than most. But I'm able to speed because the law was made for people with lesser skills than myself. But see how that's what we do. We rationalize it. Or if I'm willing to pay the fine, then I should be able to break the law, right? Well, let's look at what the Bible says. Paul, in Romans chapter 13, look at what he says. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For 
all authority comes from God. Those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Now, stop. It doesn't just say all authority you agree with, all good authorities, all uh, authorities that are Republican, all authorities that do what you want them to do. It says all. And now the Apostle Paul is not going to write a statement that's a lie by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So if he says all authority, he must mean all authority. So we're going to have to really look at that. Those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. Who will they be punished by? By the authority or by God? Maybe by both. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without the fear of authorities? Do what's right and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid for they have the power to punish you. Now you might say, well, but that doesn't look true in our society, but you've got to understand what the Roman Empire was like in this day. The Roman Empire of this day was much like the American government of today. It was corrupt. It was full of politicians that were selfish and self-seeking. There was homosexuality among the leaders that was rampant. I mean, they were persecuting Christians. Nero had just been appointed as Caesar. I mean, this is not a good godly government. And so if the Apostle Paul is able to write these words in this context, they still should be able to apply to us today. Then he says, these these authorities are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes too for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They're serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. And so, Father, give us wisdom and grace to understand your word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you stayed up late watching fireworks last night and you are drowsy and you doze off or are unable to keep your attention on the things I'm saying for the next few moments uh, or many moments, um, you may misinterpret something that I say. I am going to try to say things in a complete total picture, but... uh, there run, there's that risk. So if you misunderstand something, you can go back and listen to the podcast, all of it, or you can come talk to me and we'll try to, to see what I meant or what I said and, and we'll work that out. But Paul in Romans chapter 12 has instituted that we live in a new government, a new authority, a new kingdom, if you will. And he's starting to unpack what that looks like. And so he's teaching them from chapter 12 on these guidelines. And so the question we have is, is Paul being literal here or why has he taken a break almost because he's talking about church stuff and then he goes back to church stuff so why take this break to talk about government what's the point some scholars believe that Paul did this because he wanted to just in case this letter would fall in the hands of Caesar being sent to Rome it could fall in the hands of Caesar he wanted Caesar to be able to read this letter and see that Christianity was not a threat to the to the throne because it was being perceived that way Nero was promoting that the Christians were a threat they are the ones that are the, are guilty they are trying to be uh, lawbreakers they're trying to go against the government and so this fear is being propagated and some think Paul only wrote this for that reason to deceive if that were true 
then Paul would not have said in Corinthians that we do not, we renounce secret and shameful ways. We promote truth. And so if Paul's going to say, is do this, he's not going to do it deceitfully, in my opinion, at least anyway. And so I don't think he's trying to come up with some kind of trickery. Maybe he's trying to teach the Caesar, if it falls in his hands, that you're God's man. The same way that Daniel tried to convince Nebuchadnezzar back in, in Babylon, hey, hey, God sets up authority and you're his servant. Maybe he's trying to convince Caesar of that if it ever falls in his hands. Maybe he's writing to the zealots, the, the select few Jews who feel like the way that the, the kingdom of God is gonna come on earth is to bear arms. Let's grab our swords. Peter was a zealot and Peter thought that it was gonna come by the sword. And Jesus said, Peter, put the sword away. That's not how my kingdom is gonna be established on the earth. My thought when I read this passage is that the Apostle Paul is trying to teach us something. The Apostle Paul is trying to teach the Roman church something. I think he's trying to teach them something about humility, something about self-denial, and something about trust in Christ. Paul is not concerned so much with our civil liberties. He uses them. Don't get me wrong. In fact, remember the time that Paul's about to get a beating and he's like, I'm a Roman citizen. Good job, Paul. I mean, hey, it saved him a beating. And so he used the rights of a Roman citizenship to, to save himself that beating. But he did not cling to his rights as a Roman citizen. In fact, he glories not in his rights as a Roman citizen. He, in Galatians, tells us the only thing he glories in is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. In Romans chapter 14, we're going to see he says, I lay down every right I have. I will never eat meat again if it causes someone to stumble. So the only thing I will ever glory in is Jesus. But he uses those civil liberties. So I'm not saying don't use civil liberties. But he says that should not be our primary concern. Our primary concern should be the kingdom of God. And we need to see it. We need to have our minds renewed. Because we're going to look at earthly governments differently than we should if we don't let the mind of Christ rule in our heads. So, the Romans, the Christians, need to understand these servants of God, these authorities, are all set up on earth by God. If we rebel against them, we're rebelling against God. Romans chapter 9, we're told that the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, remember Pharaoh all the way back in the book of Exodus? I've appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. What? You appointed a man that was going to put your people into slavery? Yep, it's right there from the mouth of God himself. Look at Daniel. Daniel, when he is in captivity in Babylon, trying to convince Nebuchadnezzar, praise the name of God forever and ever. He has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He what? Controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. 
This is what the dream means, your majesty. What the most high has declared will happen to my lord, the king. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. You will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Now, if you read the context, Daniel is not saying this in a mean, sarcastic, rude tone. In fact, he doesn't even want to share it with Nebuchadnezzar. He says, my Lord, I wish this were written. I wish this dream were about your enemies. Nebuchadnezzar, a wicked king who has put the people of Israel in captivity, who has created laws that go in the face of God, who is proud and stuck on himself. Daniel says, I wish this were about your enemies. I would think this would be the time to say, ha ha, you have brought us into captivity. You have been arrogant. Now you're getting what you deserve. I wonder how many of us, given audience with President Obama today, would act more like that or would we act more like Daniel? Because he is not any worse than King Nebuchadnezzar. That's the difference between looking at the kingdoms of the earth through our eyes and through the eyes of a renewed mind in Christ. Daniel actually gives us so, uh, so much. If we read this book, we would see how to live in a kingdom like America. I mean, it was, Babylon was it, it, a wicked kingdom. In fact, Babylon in scripture is the Antichrist kingdom. That's how bad it was. Okay, so this is the type of kingdom that these four Hebrews lived in. But man, look at how they flourished. They were appointed to high positions and they never compromised their faith. They called this man your majesty over and over and over again, even though he was making laws that went against the, the laws of God and yet not compromising their faith. It is possible, church, it's possible to live in America, not compromise our faith, and not be a jerk. It is possible. And it's necessary. Because here's the thing. The enemy wants us to be a jerk. Because then all we do is empower his kingdom. Paul tells us in Romans 13, overcome evil with good. Jesus himself says in John chapter 19, when Pilate says, why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize I have the power to release you or crucify you? Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given you from above. Those are the words of Jesus. God is the one who sets up kingdoms on the earth. But we, as American Christians, sometimes have this false assumption that God wants to make life easy for us. That his goal, as we live out our days on this earth, is for life to be easy. Now, God does want to bless us, but he will not bless us at the expense of what is most important to him, and that is your eternity. Okay? So if making us uncomfortable now helps us in eternity, he's all for it, because that's love. Love does not make your life easy, and then when you stand before him, he says, wicked, lazy servant. That's not love. So if he's going to make us uncomfortable, 
He's gonna make us uncomfortable. All the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the Lord says this to the people. If you fully obey the Lord your God, carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. His blessing on this nation was contingent on their obedience to him. And when they walked in obedience, when they walked in the path of life, he blessed them. When they chose not to walk in obedience and not to walk in the path of life, he did what was necessary to get them back on the path of life. He didn't punish them just because they were bad. He put them in captivity so that they would repent and come back to him and get back on the path of life. That was the purpose of the Babylonian captivity. So that you would repent. I made you uncomfortable because that's what, you, what it's gonna take for you to seek me. You won't seek me when you're comfortable, but you'll seek me when you're uncomfortable. So I'm gonna raise up a leader that's gonna make bad decisions. He's gonna make bad economic decisions. He's gonna make bad social decisions. He's gonna make your life hard and you're gonna get uncomfortable. And when you're uncomfortable, you're gonna realize you need me and you're gonna come back to the path of blessing. We always have the government we deserve on the earth. For most of my life, the American church has not been concerned, in my view, myself included, with putting God and his kingdom first, with going out into our communities and just giving ourselves to people so that they come into the kingdom. I mean, we've wanted maybe a few moral laws to be passed, and we've wanted it to be a Christian nation, and We've twisted the scripture to try to make our lives more comfortable here in America. But we haven't been really concerned with loving our neighbors. We've been more concerned with fighting over stuff in the church and fighting over everything else. And so when judgment comes to our nation, we're like, it's because of the Supreme Court. It's because of the president. It, no, it's because of the church. It's time for the church to be the church. And if we repent, God will even make a good, a bad leader make good decisions. See, why am I preaching this? Because it's in the Bible, but we're going into an election year. And we could think if we just get more people to vote, our guy would win. Who's our guy? Who's it gonna take to put where? If we would just realize we haven't put God's kingdom first. We haven't sought to make his kingdom our priority and we would repent. It doesn't matter what guy wins. Now, at the same time, should we vote? Absolutely. Paul tells us be a good citizen. We should vote. We have the right to do it. We should do it. Should we get other people to vote? Yes. Should we try to get good laws passed? Should we protect uh, the uh, abortion? Should, yes. But if we think that that's the, the only thing we need to do, we're so sadly mistaken. God is the one that raises up and God is the one that puts down. So no matter how good of a job we do getting the vote out, our guy's not gonna win if God's not on our side. Does that make sense? And we can blind ourselves to thinking just because we're obeying a couple scriptures that God's on our side. I mean, just because our nation was founded on some biblical principles, God must be on America's side. We'll get there. I don't want to get too far ahead. So God's response to disobedience in Scripture has always been captivity, bad leader, make people feel vulnerable, they repent, they come back to me. 
Now, we're blessed in our world today because we live in a republic. A republic is kind of like a democracy, only not. I just, I tried to trick my daughter yesterday and said, what kind of government do we have? And she was going to say republic, and, and then she said democracy, and yeah, but, but, but we tricked her. And so um, we don't live in a democracy. Democracy is, for those of you that slept during civics class, a democracy is when you vote on everything, okay? We don't vote on everything. We live in a republic. A republic democratically elects leaders who represent us. That's a re republic. So we live in a place where we get to choose who represents us. I mean, that's a privilege. That, that, that's not what the Roman Christians had. They, didn't, they had no choice over who was going to represent them. They didn't get to call up Caesar and uh, say, Caesar, I don't agree with this law. I'd appreciate if you vote my way. Okay? Uh, ain't none of that happening back in Rome. So we have that privilege, and we can do that. Please use that privilege. Please call your senator. Please call your representative. Please write your letters. Please appeal to them on behalf of God and on behalf of righteousness snake. Stand up for those who can't stand for themselves. Uh, that's the, the scripture. But to think that just because we have this form of government that God, this was God's, you know, doing, this is the best thing he had gone for him. <laughs> no, theocracy is the best thing. And that's not what we are. Because even though we had biblical principles in our Declaration of Independence and Constitution, there's nothing that says all leaders must learn to fast and pray and read the scriptures and make all decisions based on that. It's not in our Constitution. And so we've been fooled into thinking that if we just get back to our roots, we, we don't really need to get back to our roots. We need to get back to God's roots. As much as I love this country and I wouldn't want to live anywhere else, it's not what we've made it out to be. I mean, we've almost characterized it as more godly than it ever was. Scripture says plainly, man did not create government, God did. Man does not sustain government, God does. Many of those governments kill Christians, they take our money, they take our taxes, they don't use it well, but at the end of the day, civil authority is set up by God and rebelling against it is like rebelling against God. Peter says it this way, for the Lord's sake, not for the sake of Caesar, not for the sake of you, not for, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. You're doing it to him. You don't have to worry what they're gonna do to you, the Lord has asked you to do this. Whether to the king as head of the state, keeping in mind that's Nero, or the officials he's appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. Did you ever want to just sit down with Peter over a cup of coffee and say, Peter, Nero is not just punishing those who do wrong. Why are you writing this? I mean, come on. I struggle with it too. I look at it and think, Peter, what are you doing? Nero is a crazy man. He's burning Christians in his garden. And yet you tell us to submit to this governing authority. It's time to pick up a sword so I don't become someone's torch. But unfortunately, the way kingdom operates is the sword never gets to leave then. But if you overcome evil with good, you strip it of all of its power. I know, it doesn't make sense in our human minds. It's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people 
who make foolish accusations against you. Your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. Don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Respect the king. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Fear God and respect the king are the bookends of this passage. And so Paul tells us practically, here's what you do. Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. The, these governing leaders are God's people, so pay your tax them. They deserve to be paid. The Lord himself, when trying to be trapped, said give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Right? He told the tax collectors who were repentant, only collect what you're supposed to collect. He didn't say, stop working for the Roman government. All right? They're corrupt. No, he said, you know what? You don't be corrupt. They tell you what to collect. Don't collect more than that and pocket it. Because that's what they were doing. That's why tax collectors were hated. Because they were not just collecting what Rome authorized. They were collecting some for themselves and pocketing it. And the people knew it. They were taking advantage of their own brothers and sisters. And Jesus says to them, hey, you're working for the government? Good. Keep working. Collect what they tell you. Stop your cheating. Stop your lying. Stop your deception. Jesus didn't say stop paying taxes. Then Paul says, obey authority. Peter says our obedience to this human institution is obedience to God. So my question is, is obeying the speed limit worship? <laughs> I knew you would say yes. <laughs> is the failure to text and drive Worship. Yeah. Here's the bottom line, guys. We have to be a nation of laws. There have to be laws or there would be chaos. You won't agree with all those laws. You will think, we will think, we're superior to those laws. We will think those laws were written for someone else. But if each of us starts deciding which laws we're going to obey and which laws we're not going to obey, we got problems. And so Paul says, obey the law. Be an example to this world on what it means to be a good citizen, to obey the law of the land. That's what he says. Because your example is going to go further than your preaching. Then he says, honor and respect those leaders. So pay our taxes, obey the laws, honor and respect our leaders. In other words, be a good citizen. We are always called to honor leaders. There are exceptions in scriptures, and we're going to get there right now, for those of you that have been waiting for this moment, uh, when we, we disobey authority. But there is never, ever, 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 ever an instance in scripture where we are taught as believers to dishonor those in authority. So the thing is, is we, we all the time, we live in this culture that, mocks our leaders they do it on saturday night live they do it on late night talk shows they do it on uh, facebook thank you all the time on facebook by the way can i tell you something about photoshop all those posts that we make about the president not saluting and doing these grumpy faces half of them are probably photoshopped okay think about ham 
Huh? Remember, he saw Noah in the tent, naked, went out. Hey, guys, you should see dad. He got drunk and he's naked in the tent. And now God cursed ham, and now we don't get to eat pork. I was praying that I'd be able to get that in this message. I didn't know where it was going to go, but... Funny point, but true statement, okay? Ham did not get the kind of reaction he thought. And so if we think that we're on the Lord's side when we throw up all these posts that talk about all how terrible of a person our president is, remember Ham, okay? Remember that. May the smell of bacon always be in our nose when we're posting on the internet. Um, is our president make bad decisions? Yep. So did the last one. You know, just because George Bush quoted scripture, how do you know in his heart he really wanted to set apart himself to honor the Lord? We don't know that. All we know is what he told us. And it's not beyond the human mind to think, if I quote a couple scriptures in my speech, it'll help me get elected. I'm not saying George Bush did that in any way, but don't be deceived. That just because a guy gets up and quotes scriptures and talks about teaching Sunday school or being a good Christian, you can be a good Christian and not follow Christ. Yep, you can be a good Christian and not really be following Christ at all, according to the rules of Christianity anyway. Always honor and respect, because as citizens, we have a dual citizenship. We are citizens of America, but we are citizens of heaven. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, we're citizens of heaven. Be a good citizen here, Paul says. Be a good one. Serve our country. Pay your taxes. Do something good for this nation. I mean, hey, ask not what you, what our country can do for you. Ask what you can do for our country is a great statement. The problem with America is everybody wants to receive and criticize, and nobody wants to just do something. There you go. I'm going to run for office now. So what do we, <laughs> please, no, <laughs> never running for office. Oh, Lord, please don't ever make me run for office. Those people are hated. When the laws of the land contradict the scripture, the scripture clearly tells us that we are first and foremost citizens of heaven. So we have to disobey the law of this land and honor the law of God. But we don't do it in arrogance we don't do it in rude behavior. We do it the exact same way that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do it, did it. We do it the same way that the apostles did it in Acts chapter 5 when they said, stop teaching about Jesus. <laughs> Instead, you're filling all Jerusalem with his teaching, and Peter says, we have to obey God rather than human authority. So when the government says, stop talking about Jesus, we will say, we can't. Because we have to do what God has said and not what you say first. That's all we'd have to say. And then we keep teaching about Jesus. Daniel, in chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Isn't it interesting? They don't need to defend themselves before Nebuchadnezzar. Jesus had, didn't need to defend himself before Pilate. But we need to defend ourselves today. Okay, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve 
is able to save us. I mean, the worst you can dish out, he's able to do that and deliver me. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. I love that statement because that's a kingdom statement. That is disobeying the law of the land in an honoring way. Your majesty, God is able to save us because we got to be obedient to him and he'll deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we'll still take our chances with that over bowing down to your statue. We celebrated our independence this last weekend. God bless America. I love America. I love our freedoms. I love it all. Uh, I do worry about American pride. Anytime you throw the word pride into something, we should be, we should be worried about that. Um, and I think that that can blind us. As I already alluded to, we, we have adopted this idea that maybe the foundation of our country was better than it really was. I'll show you. This is from the Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's gods entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to that separation. Sounds okay. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal, except for blacks and Native Americans. Oh, that's not in there, but they sure lived that. Okay, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Did you know that's not in the Bible? There's nothing about pursuit of happiness in the Bible. But if you put in there creator, rights, all people equal, little bit of scripture, it all sounds good. Doesn't that? So to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. True, that's in the Bible. Deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Uh, Romans 13 said they get their powers from God, not the consent of the governed. Oh, whenever the form of government becomes destructive, it's the right of the people to alter or abolish it and institute a new government. Oh, I thought God raised up governments. See what happens? Were some of our founding fathers Christians? Yep, some of them loved the word, some of them were Christian, some of them were deists, not Christian. They loved some of the teachings of scriptures, but they loved some of the humanistic teachings also, and they mixed the two together. Men like Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin are two of them. And so when we just make America this Christian nation and elevate it to the status of good and God all over the world, we blind ourselves to what's the truth. Now, that's not to put a black eye on America or our founding fathers, or, and we're not gonna talk today whether or not the Revolutionary War was right or not right, but here's the point. 
We are entering a dark day in the world because the scripture says in the last days, terrible times are going to come on the earth. And I've watched over the last several years as Americans, we have been persecuted just by little things, name calling, and we don't handle that well. Even this last issue with the homosexual marriage, look at the way we've handled it as Christians. I mean, look at the way we've gone back against the homosexuals and said, you know, you guys claim to want freedom, and but you don't give it to us. I mean, we can't even handle getting mocked and called names, and persecution greater than that is about to come. And so it's time to wake up. See, back in Romans chapter 13, we don't do this, we don't honor authorities just because we're afraid of punishment, but we do it to keep a clear conscience. We don't want to be blinded by our own pride. And that's where we are. We've been blinded by our own pride. And so we won't repent. It's not our fault. The church isn't to blame. It's the, if we could just get certain justices appointed to the Supreme Court, then everything would be okay. I mean, when John Roberts got elected to the Supreme Court, the church trumpeted that. It was a victory for Christianity. John Roberts is on the Supreme Court. And now he votes most of the time against the church. I guess it doesn't matter who our guy is, does it? We want our guy to win. We turn our hearts to the Lord. And he raises up and he puts down. Because the Bible teaches that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And rebellion is deeply rooted in our nation. We love to rebel. In fact, once you start telling me to do something, I am not going to do it. In fact, if I find out that you think that I shouldn't do something, I'm going to do it all the more. That's American pride. That's Southern pride. That's pride. And it doesn't honor God, and it doesn't build his kingdom. It blinds us. And I don't want us to get blindsided because when this persecution comes on the world, we are going to have a lot of people blindsided. And I don't want that for us as a church. And so we need to learn to develop the humility, the self-denial, and the trust in Christ that Paul says in Romans chapter 13. Knowing that if we don't obey our laws, if we don't pay our taxes, if we don't serve as a responsible citizen, if we don't honor and respect our leaders, even when we disagree with them, rebellion creeps into our lives and rebellion has a tendency to take over everything. And it causes us to act in ways that we would never have acted before. We are rebels no more. We want our conscience to be clean. We want to trust the Lord with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our soul and strength. One last scripture I want to give you, and then we're going to close. This is Paul's advice to young Timothy and his church. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Before you post anything on Facebook, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Before you jump into some political agenda, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. 
okay? Let's make this our mantra. I will pray first because through prayer, I will secure a victory in what I'm about to do. And through prayer, I will get the wisdom and insight to do this the way that I'm supposed to or to be told not to do it at all. So I'm gonna pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks to them. Okay? Ask God to help them. It doesn't say only pray this for people that deserve God's help. How many of us deserve God's help again? Oh, that's right. None of us. So ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. God, bring them. You're like grabbing the homosexual and you're grabbing the Lord and you're like trying to bring them together in prayer. I mean, we're doing it. If I just post something on Facebook, I'm going to bring them all together. (laughs) How's that working? Not real good. It's not working. But if I start interceding for this one and and the Lord, I'm going to bring them together. That's what intercession is. It's bringing together. And give thanks for them. (laughs) What? Give thanks for them? Give thanks for my enemies? Give thanks for people that mock me? Yes, because they are doing more for you than you can ever imagine. They are helping your character grow. You should be more thankful for the people that annoy you than you are for the people that make you feel good. Literally. Because the people that make us feel good don't really help us be prepared for what's coming. The people that annoy us, if we walk the way we're supposed to, help us develop the type of character that will make us overcomers. That's good stuff. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. Pray this for all people. Pray this for kings and those who are in authority and pray for them to be saved and understand truth. And so, Father, that's our desire today. God, we recognize that we have done this wrong in the past. We've been wise in our own eyes. We've been blinded by our own pride and our own arrogance, our own selfishness. We've been more concerned with our own comfort and ease than we are with whether or not you're pleased with our lives. We didn't heed your warning to keep our trust in you when we lived in the promised land because then we would start thinking that we did this ourselves and God, we didn't do any of this ourselves. Anything good we have has come from you. You are the source of every good thing. You are the source of life. You're the source of hope. You're the source of peace. We've put our trust in things that are fleeting. And we need you, Holy Spirit, to help renew our minds. We can no longer look at things from a human perspective. We need to look with kingdom eyes, fresh eyes. We need your grace to live out Romans chapter 13 and 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy chapter 1. We need your help, God. Help us to 
to be good citizens here on this earth. Help us to obey the laws of this land. Help us to honor those that you've placed in authority over us, even when we need to disregard the laws this society puts on us. Help us not to disregard those laws for our own comfort or pleasure, but only because they contradict your word. May we not live for ourselves, but only live for you. Teach us humility. Teach us self-denial. Teach us to trust in you. So, Father, for this nation, for our leaders, we pray that you would help them. Forgive us for being so critical and quick to judge our leaders. We have no idea the great responsibility that they carry as leaders. We don't feel the pressure that they feel. We don't feel the, the, the public outrage that they feel. And we have acted dishonorably in the way that we have behaved towards them. We have acted dishonorably in our lack of prayer for them. Father, help them. Help their families who have to deal with this on a day-after-day basis. God, give them grace to make wise decisions. Help us as a people to turn our hearts fully back to you so that the leaders that you have given to us are able to make wise decisions on behalf of this nation. God, give them eyes to see that they are your servants. Strip away pride from their hearts and from their minds and from their lives in every way. Open up their eyes to see true humility, to see themselves as your servants here on this earth. Father, thank you for the authorities that you have placed over us. Thank you for men and women who have been willing to serve in offices, whether the the presidency or the Supreme Court or any court or our Congress, our state legislators, our mayors. God, men and women who are willing to, to serve us, to give of themselves. Thank you for them and their service to us. Help us to treat them with the honor that pleases you. And so, Holy Spirit, we need your help today. Renew our minds. Shift our way of thinking so that we can live peaceful and godly lives on this earth and that we can be about your business of building your kingdom. Do it today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for coming to civics class today. And uh, I hope this word has spoken to you. I know at some points it probably felt like a lot of um, doctrine, but I hope we've opened our eyes to where we're going and what God wants from us as a, a citizen of the United States and a citizen of heaven. God bless you as you go today.